Excellent, everyone. Welcome back to the next episode of Yex Talks Search Wars. Today, I'm real excited to talk to Zach Pappas, who is the VP of Insights at DuckDuckGo. Zach, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Zach, first, starting at the beginning, you were the second employee at DuckDuckGo, which basically means you knew everything uh, from the beginning of the story. Can you can you give us a little bit of how you got here and how, how you know Gabriel? Yeah, for sure. So I guess I'll take you back to 2010, 2011-ish. I had just moved to the Philadelphia area, originally from Pittsburgh. I had started a business with my uh, now brother-in-law, which was growing really quickly. And I was looking for some help. And Gabriel was a very active community-based like entrepreneur and angel investor. Uh, and at the time, I think maybe still doing this, was you know offering a lot of his own time to advise curious founders and other startups around the area. So he made himself you know, very available to people in the Philly area if they had startup questions. I was one of those people, and I reached out to him in the context of the business that I had started, uh, looking for some help and kind of found that he was working on his own thing, which you know came to be DuckDuckGo. And we kept in touch, I want to say for you know maybe six months to a year, you know meeting for lunch and speaking over email. Uh, he was giving me advice. And then eventually I kind of worked up the courage to just ask him if he needed any help, uh, you know, on the side with anything that he was doing on DuckDuckGo. And he had a resounding yes. Once you started this and you started working with Gabriel and it was this concept of, you know, we're going to create the, the privacy first search experience. When did you realize you said you had started working with them a little bit and it was already kind of really getting going. You're coming out as a contractor. When did you start to realize, OK, this is this is starting to really mount. This is going to be something. I mean, I, I kind of had that sense from the very beginning. I think there there have been many of those types of moments over the years that have amplified my own feeling about how big this thing could really be. I think the earliest one, you know, when I first started getting to know Gabe and what he was working on was more of a personal passion of mine. I was like super into, you know, consumerist.com, which I don't think exists anymore, um, but just really into consumer rights and you know, if you think back to the late 2000s, like, you know, privacy really wasn't part of the zeitgeist yet. But for those of us who were really concerned about it, it was. You can see what was coming on the horizon with social media, even things like Equifax before Equifax breach happened, uh, just a mass amount of data collection and big data becoming a big part of the conversation, but without anybody talking about the other side of that. Um, so I was personally, you know, like I kind of had a hunch that this is gonna be a big thing. I think the real public affirmation of that was 2014 when Apple added DuckDuckGo as a default search engine option in every iOS and macOS uh, device in the world, which, you know, for us as a kind of still small startup at the time was was huge. You know, it was a confirmation that only not only did Apple believe in us uh, as one of their partners, but also in privacy in general. So, Zach, this season of the podcast is called Search Wars, and it, it's really focused on where are we going and what are the battles that are being fought in search. And, and really, I don't think we can have this season without talking to DuckDuckGo because you all have been doing this, like you said, for a very long time. You continue to be right in the middle of where search is headed. When you think about sort of that, yes, Google is dominant, they will continue to be dominant. Where do you see the opportunities first in search where, you know, you can per perhaps gain more market share? I think I was looking today. I don't know if you've surpassed, but you're, you're very close to Yahoo in terms of total search count. You, you know, you're, you've, you've been growing steadily. Is that uh, public opinion? Is that because the tools are better? What are the opportunities that you're seeing with search? Yeah, great question. I think search has always been the same thing, right? It's getting 
relevant answers to the things that you're looking for, um, ideally as quickly as possible. And that has, has never really changed, right? Uh, technology has evolved, I think, now to where AI is advanced enough to do more complicated things. Uh, you have natural language processing that didn't exist before or machine learning that didn't exist before. But it's all meant to serve the same purpose, which is getting you know, an answer to your question or uh, to learn more about something as quickly as possible. Which is funny because it's one of the reasons that Gabriel started DuckDuckGo. I don't know if you remember this, but uh, in late 2000s, again, uh, you started seeing a lot more of these like go-to websites for certain types of information, right? IMDb for movies, Rotten Tomatoes for ratings, etc. The big one being Wikipedia. You know, if you think back to a time, you know, a decade ago, many of the searches that you did would surface Wikipedia as the first result. But at the time, there wasn't like the instant answer at the above, at the top of the results. Yeah, no knowledge panels or snippets or anything. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I want to say we were one of the first, if not the first search engine to have Wikipedia-based instant answers at the top of the results. And that was like one of Gabe's, you know, hypotheses is like, if I recognize that people are going to these specific websites for various types of information, I can just make those available, you know, in fewer clicks. Um, so that started with things that like you search for Tom Cruise, you'll see the Tom Cruise Wikipedia article at the top of the results. And then you know, a few years later, I think Google launched Knowledge Graph, and then you see it's kind of become an you know expected user experience now, but was not the case back then. And I think in the future, you're going to see a lot more of that, right? Just kind of anticipating what users are looking for and providing a you know simple answer at the top of the results or in other form factors like videos and and images. Yeah, when you when you see that, we kind of group all of that together in AI search. The concept being that you know artificial intelligence comes in many different flavors, but really what's happening is you're paying attention to what people are asking and you're identifying the the areas where a direct answer would be a far superior experience. Because as you said, it originally started with mostly Wikipedia capturing the knowledge panel, and now it's grown to a lot of different things like recipes and whatever else it may be. It'll pull back those facts. Is that something that DuckDuckGo will continue to iterate on? You were, as you said, probably the, one of the first to actually pull back a direct answer. Are you building out more concepts around that? Is that, is that the direction you see search headed? Yeah, for sure. I think it's definitely a major component that it, it is certainly maybe uh, overstating you know, the, the query space or the search space when you think about searches that people do that are answerable in a single like no-click experience. When you think about like the, the long tail of search and the searches that actually happen more frequently than, than other things, they're typically more complicated things that aren't accessible in an instant answer. In those ways, you know, we're trying to develop a useful search experience for people. Sometimes that's instant answers. Sometimes that's just better results or a cleaner, simpler view of results. Something we've always been big on is not cluttering our search results with ads. So, you know, that's not just a user experience play that just comes from the sense that we don't need to add those extra advertisements to the search page for, for extra revenue when it's ultimately deteriorating the user experience and your ability to find information. So in if you kind of think about it holistically, certainly we are going to continue improving, you know, users' ability to find answers as quickly as possible. That extends both to instant answers as well as just the overall search experience. Yeah, I can see that as um, one of the battles that we at Yext are often sort of dealing with, which is there's sort of those branded objective facts 
for which a purposeful answer makes a ton of sense. And then there's things like, where should we get dinner tonight? Like it, it's much broader. There's there's a ton of different ways you could come at that. You could use ratings, reviews. You could be subjective about it. You could know what I you know have searched for in the past, what things we like uh, as a family. All those things tie into it, but it, it definitely feels as though there's almost a, a world of at least two to three search types where some of those direct answers make a lot of sense and can be modeled. And then others where you really are always going to have a lot of options. And uh, you point out, I think it's fascinating, the vertical search experiences. So it was like going to orbits for travel information. And like you said, going to IMDb for movie information. Do you see some of that verticalization? Because I, I know now we have people are going to Amazon, you know, more to search for products than they do on Google. And that was a pretty big shift a few years ago. I remember when that was covered by the journal and people were sort of like, that's a, that's actually a, a big change. Do you see people sort of leveraging DuckDuckGo that way where they use it for certain things like their personal searches or personal engagement, but they continue to use other search engines or they go to Airbnb when they're looking for a place to stay? What, what, how do you see that panning out? with search? Will there be more vertical approaches or will there be more unification as, as we kind of proceed? I think it's a little bit of both, right? So the optimal user experience for any particular search may be a single vertical, but oftentimes, you know, a single vertical may be able to answer a search efficiently for one type of person, but not another type of person. A good example might be something like movies, right? If you have uh, answers from IMDb that might satisfy a majority of searches for movie type things, but somebody or, or maybe the broader audience might trust more of a Rotten Tomatoes for the review specific portion. So I think you'll see a kind of an amalgamation or combination of all of these sources into kind of a holistic answer to the extent that is best possible to answer the user's query. I think there is a, uh, you know, a future where certain data like movie ratings can be combined with things like titles and movies that certain celebrity has appeared in um, where you're getting or sourcing answers from both, you know, IMDb, Rotten Tomatoes and other places. So, you know, right now, what may appear as like a single vertical or single source of truth will probably in the future be a bit more diverse. And so you're getting the best pieces of information from around the web and presenting that as a single answer for users. Yeah, I certainly agree because realistically, what we're seeing is, is a lot of companies are realizing the value of providing a DuckDuckGo or any other search platform, really structured knowledge and information about their business, what they do, where they can get their products. That way they can sort of be at the forefront of that as those new search experiences or those new, new UI experiences of uh, sort of bringing the search forward to the user become obvious. I want to shift a little because I, I, you know, looking at the DuckDuckGo site when you when you're going and you're trying to download it or get started. I love the entire messaging, like the, the the look and the feel of just the privacy first, how you focus on it. Talk to me a little bit about when, when it comes to data privacy and how you at DuckDuckGo view data privacy. And this, I feel like with GDPR, it, it sort of really started ramping up. Then you had California, then you had sort of the, the evolution at several different states. What is the current state for data privacy and, and how do you see that affecting DuckDuckGo going forward? Yeah, there's a lot of exciting things going on. I think DuckDuckGo's mission has always been the same thing that is, you know, fighting against unnecessary data collection. If you take Google as an example, Google likes to pretend like all the data that they're collecting is going back into the product to make it better. But, you know, what does your browsing history or location data or contact info have to do with basic search functions? Like nothing. We can provide the same benefits of great search without being creepy. 
And people should be able to feel like they're safe, like they're protected online, especially in the context of search. When if you think about it, like search is a place where people ask some of, if not the most personal questions, right? Some health things or maybe just curiosities that you shouldn't feel embarrassed about. Those things get typed into a search box. And so I think those, you know, type questions like that shouldn't be stored or used to create profiles about people that are sold to advertisers. Privacy to us is a is a fundamental right, right? Everyone should have it. Um, I think uh, if you talk to our users or really anyone, they would agree. It's not just something that we believe. Um, it is a fact. And the good news is people are recognizing that and they're taking action on it, which you see, you know, in our traffic, like our, our traffic from last year has doubled from one and a half billion monthly searches to three billion. As you mentioned earlier, we're like the number two search engine, I think, in, in mobile market share in the U.S., which is uh, an awesome thing for us. And so, yeah, like, our, you know, our our mission is still the same. I don't think that's going to change. That is to provide a relevant, useful search experience for people without any necessary unnecessary data collection. And looking at that, because data gluttony has been a problem, um, not just in search, but everywhere of just, you know, they gobble it all up. It's not immediately obvious. Like you said, I think most of the time it ends up on the, you know, sort of the cutting room floor because it, it clearly isn't improving the product. It's it's really for the advertisements. When you think about sort of cookies and, and everybody, you know, the demise of cookies sort of greatly exaggerated. Google was going to sunset them. They weren't going to use them. They tried to launch flocks. Where do you see that? Because I know DuckDuckGo really still works on the the sort of absolutely proven method of contextual-based advertising. How do you think this pans out with sort of, you know, marketers being so drunk on the power of the data that they're provided back with some of these metrics? Is it just going to be continuously clawing back that privacy from them for the next several years or will it ever fully happen? I don't know. I think, you know, you mentioned flock, right? I think that's Google's attempt to say that they're ending, you know, third-party cookies. It's, It's really another example of privacy washing. When you're replacing one tracking method with another, you're probably not doing something in the best interest of the users. So as we've been saying recently, like the death of the cookie is greatly exaggerated. Marketers should probably understand that Google's pro-privacy commitment to reduce reliance on cookies is really just another way to strengthen the position that they already have in the market, in the ad market in particular. So I think consumers are probably going to continue taking the same steps that they are now stopping third parties from tracking them and, and you know, adopting things like DuckDuckGo and making, you know, informed choices about the products and services they use or the companies that they choose to do business with based on maybe more ethical data practices. Do you think that companies, so I know in Apple's marketing program, they've actually really adopted this. So the Apple symbol that turns into a lock and then back to the Apple symbol in one of their ads, they posted a great ad, which was sort of the the, the barista following the person home. I don't know if you've seen this one, but it's absolutely, it's hilarious. But it's also really true. I actually was looking at it and at the at one point, it looks like there's hundreds of people following this one individual, sort of tracking their information and sharing data. I, I, I tweeted, I'm like, that is grossly underestimated. It's literally tens of thousands, if not millions of units of data that are being shared with every interaction with a platform like that. Do you think consumers are understanding this or, or, you know, at some points it feels like they want privacy, but not necessarily at the expense of convenience. How do you win that battle? Okay. Yeah. Two, two parts of that, you know, they do want privacy. I think they're the the latter point at the expense of convenience, like that is kind of the market that DuckTuckGo is serving, right? If you can make 
a private alternative uh, or privacy service that comes without friction, people will adopt it. You can see that in the traffic growth. The earlier point that you're making on like, do consumers realize the extent to which this is actually happening? I don't know if that's particular to the, the, the number of trackers, the extent to the, which people are being tracked on their devices. I don't know if that's, you know, something that people are super familiar with right now, but I can almost guarantee you that this whole push by Apple is going to make a difference. I've actually seen this already in a lot of user studies that we've been doing and just talking to people since the announcement of iOS 14.5, this concept of like knowing which apps have third party, you know, companies tracking you in those apps and being able to block them is actually something that has a lot more you know, people are a lot more aware of that than I would have assumed for just being a few months, you know, after that announcement. So I think maybe in the next couple of years or even sooner, you're going to see a lot more awareness, even, you know, suspicion that things are happening to an extent that they weren't happening before. I think, you know, the best, most prolific example of this is people saying that Instagram is using their phone's microphone to listen to them while they're talking. And the reality is it's actually, they don't need to do that, right? That's right. What they have is much more powerful and much creepier, which is all of this you know, telemetry data on your phone and all these requests that they're making through the network on your device to know what's going on to the, to the point where they don't need to use the microphone. And I think something like this kind of app tracking protection that, that Apple's offering and that soon we will be offering as well on Android it's just going to increase the awareness of this thing, even if there's not a perfect understanding of it. I think people will understand the magnitude to which this is happening without their consent in the background while they're sleeping, while they're using apps that should be totally innocuous, like a, a weather app or a food you know, delivery app. Like, why does Verizon or uh, Google or Facebook need to know what I'm doing in those apps? Yeah, I saw one today that I had to download for... I forget what even organization it was to connect. And it was like, do you want to grant access to your contacts? And I'm like, why would you even like, no, but it's, it's really kind of amazing because in some ways it's just like, it's almost the, the, the concept it's so upside down, right? It's sort of, we have an app with a purpose, but we're actually going to ask you before you even get to that purpose, whether or not we can take all the data possible before we get to the purpose. It's very sad. Now, knowing that you're seeing like, your model is much more on, if you want to buy ads, people literally are typing in there, as you said, very personal, but very direct things they're looking for. It's powered by the contextual ad market, which I feel sort of went out the sort of this race to the bottom where they started selling their audiences and using Google and cookies and everything else. What do you see for marketers? Are marketers understanding? Because I know there's a lot of studies out there that show contextual-based advertising is even better when you really know what people are looking for and searching for. How do we help marketers understand that the ROI is still there or was always there and can be better and not bring with it all the risks associated with potentially building profile-based approaches? I don't know if you're, this is the same study you were referencing, but there was this Digiday survey that showed it was just 45% of ad executives saw no significant benefit from behavioral tracking and something like 20% of them found it made revenues decline. Uh, so your point that you know contextual ads can and are actually extremely relevant, particularly when you know your audience. So I would suggest what we do, right? I'm every day talking to users. I learn a ton about them with their consent and their knowledge. And those learnings are then what informs our products and our features and that can be a very meaningful experience. So I think this is something that people just have to realize. I think there's been an over-reliance on data and over-reliance on kind of what you would call outdated or lazy techniques. But certainly there are avenues to get this level of information, this level of insight about your users without being creepy about it. 
one area that I think is is fascinating is as the public starts to understand a little more of this, you had movies like Social Dilemma and you have a lot of, or documentary, I should say, about all these sort of tracking tools and technologies. I'm curious, as you build more products in the suite, or like, for example, email was just added as another way to help protect privacy. Do you see larger companies beyond Apple starting to adopt this as a mantle, which is, you know, we, we really believe this because you said it, you think privacy is a fundamental human right. I completely concur. Most everyone in Europe concurs. California is actually the only state in the United States in the, their state constitution with a right to privacy. Nobody else has it. We don't necessarily have it clearly defined. Is that something where it's just um, your product suite and then hopefully other companies adopting this approach and making it easier to really have a private experience will benefit the customer to where they really start to ask more and more for it or demand it in the experience? Yeah, I think so. You know, something like Apple's tracking transparency uh, makes that type of thing more visible, right? And, and, and bringing that into a mainstream product means that people are going to get used to that experience, whether or not they wanted it, you know. Um, I think people do want it, but this is not something they were specifically asking for that Apple has found a really great way to solve. It, it brings awareness. It makes it very easy to switch on and off, but really points out like what you're describing. Why does my weather app need to know, have access to my contacts list? And that's, you know, largely for advertising purposes. So I think it's going to kind of shift the way that consumers think about what, you know, is required in the apps that they have or in the products or services that they use. And so you really have no choice and kind of your, to your point of a race to the bottom is really like a race to the top. You know, marketers are not going to have many options, but to drop this like behavioral advertising and focus on the contextual instead, given, you know, the, the rising consumer demand for it and the exposure that Apple's doing with app tracking transparency. Yeah, that's that's absolutely what we're hoping for. I, I think the more people recognize this, and again, not not really picking on Google from the standpoint of they're the only one. I, th I think realistically, any of the these large platforms that built upon a, a huge dependency on advertising, that's one of the issues. Naturally, you're built on the ability to advertise, but you have gone back to that much more contextual. We don't ne necessarily have to know. In fact, what I love about the model is a lot of what we talk about, which is let people ask you questions. It, it, the beauty of this is we're asking questions before we can read and write as children. It's the most human fundamental way to connect with people. And yet, you know, it's not something that was, I think, ever meant to cause significant data privacy issues throughout the world. And it's it really can still be without any tracking, a phenomenally interesting experience. From that side of things, I wanted to switch a little to conversational search. Naturally, as we think about where is search going, we envision these sort of R2-D2 exchanges, C-3PO, people are talking to some sort of you know, robot voice that can really engage with them. Do you see a place for this, this conversational UI interface that allows for people to have a search experience that is maybe not strictly tied to a screen and, and typing something in? Where, where do you see conversational in this whole search experience? Yeah, I guess, you know, between where we are now and fluent in six million forms of communication, <laughs> to me, I think, you know, like when you, when you think of conversational search, it's it's really a different wrapper of the same thing. It's a, it's a search box that you're entering some level of intent into or question or whatever uh, and getting a response back that's highly relevant probably contextual to the thing that you you typed into that box, right? So I actually don't think we're super far off from that. I think the technology is getting a lot better, still has a long way to go. My personal experience with a lot of these like conversational search um, products is that 
they either you know end up in a dead end, like pointing you to a help article or something, um, or put you in a loop because they're not so great at understanding exactly what it is that you want. And there are a finite number of options to send you to, right? Like an old phone tree, you're trying to figure out what do the most people call in about and how can we get them answer. It's kind of an analogous experience to the existing search market, right? Search box just with a, with a conversational wrapper. So I think as it improves, I don't see why you wouldn't continue doing things like contextual advertising based on, based on that and allowing people maybe the option to get into something like a mirrored search vertical to understand maybe broadly what their, what their query intent is or what they're asking about and put them into the right context to be able to find their answer more efficiently as opposed to trying to guess based on some pre-programmed kind of phone tree style. Yeah, it's uh, definitely one of my favorite memes is uh, the Scooby-Doo meme where they unmask the AI and it's just a nested if-then tree. <laughs> and, and you're like, yeah, that, that actually is kind of how it feels right now. But, the, you know, seeing that the advancements are coming, it's certainly interesting to see where this could go, you know, as, as these search algorithms are getting much more capable of understanding language and whether or not that fundamentally really changes the way we think about going to DuckDuckGo and typing something in. Is it then DuckDuckGo sort of helping me guide me to the, the next best question and where do I go from there? But to me, that's one of those really interesting opportunities that the merging of natural language along with the amazing algorithms that you're building, even still staying completely privacy you know, focused, but allowing people to have that dialogue to find the things they're looking for. I want you to think to some predictions. On the show, we like to walk through what are some of the things you think that are going to happen. And we've, we've covered you know, a little bit of, do you think more companies will really push for privacy? Do you think it'll become more central? But in search in general, as you analyze all the insights that you have access to uh, and build out that sort of understanding of search, what are some of the things you're expecting in the future? Where do you think search is headed? And that could be you know, from the audience side, from the UI side. What are some of the things that you're looking for in the next you know, five years or so? Something that I would like to see is just a search landscape that doesn't trap people into the existing search construct. If you think about the Google trap of being a default setting in, you know, in Chrome and in Android devices, et cetera, I am very much hopeful that in the next five to 10 years, we're going to see a more competitive search market that gives people a real choice. I think 2019, we did a lot of studies on what would happen if you introduced a search preference menu that allowed people to change their defaults when they're setting up a device and allowed them like quick access to understand what things are default and how to change them simply. And in that research, it kind of uncovered that if you provide a bunch of alternatives to Google, people will select the alternatives at a rate that would have increased their market share by 300 to 800%, which is substantial. Yes. Like the overall market share changing by like 10% on mobile. This is something that you know recently happened in Europe that we were proud to be a part of was making the case that when you buy an Android device and you set it up for the first time that you're at least giving consumers a choice of what things like what browser, what search engine are going to be used by default on that device. And so I think you know using that as a model, we would hope to see something like that become a rule, not the exception and maybe adopted by countries like the US and elsewhere. Yeah, I remember there was an app that came out maybe a few years ago. It was called Dumbo Privacy. And it was this tool where you could sort of, they had mapped the 800 potential, let's say, Facebook or Google default privacy settings. So you could just say, I want a lot of privacy or I want a little. It was like, two, it was like on and off. And then they would go into your account and, and change all those. I know that caused a lot of consternation at those platforms. So I'm not sure if it's still there, but it was brilliant. It was one of these things of, why don't we, why don't we make this as simple as almost like the on-off 
audio switch, the physical button on your iPhone that remember when they, they put that on, they're like, why, why can't you just change that in the settings? And it was genius. And it's one of those where they just need another one right next to that, that just goes flip on all privacy settings. So I know that I'm totally ghosting and, and it, it feels like the world does see there's a chance for that, but it's going to be that step-by-step -step battle until we get there. At least certainly feels that way. Yeah, or you can get DuckDuckGo, and that will <laughs> you up. You know, it's that is like kind of the same thing that we're describing. I think that that is the button, like the easy button for privacy, is just get this thing and turn it on. Don't have to go through and fiddle with your settings or worry about what things are enabled and what things aren't and what type of tracking protection you have. If it's holistic and it's powerful and it's simple, people will get it and they'll adopt it. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And obviously, the, the the traffic and the number of searches that you're getting is demonstrating that people are realizing that and they can embrace that. And it's not hard. They can make the switch. They're still going to have an amazing search experience. It will be interesting to see as you add more products and tools like the email solution onto the, the system, how that's going to help people realize they can have this in more and more interactions digitally, that they can protect themselves and protect the privacy of them and, and their families. One question we like to ask everybody is sort of, you know, pass the mic. If there's somebody that you see in market that would be interesting for us to also talk with and bring on the show, is there anybody in particular who, or, or a business that you, you're witnessing that you think really is at the heart of where search might be going or sort of building the battle for letting people choose a better search experience? I would not be doing my job if I didn't say a user and to go talk to a user of search to get their perspective and kind of glean the same information that maybe you're getting off me from somebody who's kind of living the firsthand experience of someone who's subject to this type of consumer choice or lack of consumer choice. And then, I don't know, these aren't rank order, by the way. Uh, <laughs> so I would go with Alan Emtage, the um, creator, maybe touted creator of the first search engine, Archie, which... Yes, I remember. 90s, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I think any of those three would be good options, but I'm not very good at this, so... They're actually, that, that's awesome. And by the way, you win the prize for the most selfless response by going, why don't you talk to the users? Uh, if that doesn't fit right into your role and what you, you do analyzing, what can make it better? I love that. In fact, I think the idea of having rapid fire, the best clips from, you know, a hundred search users that are randomly selected where we can say, here's some of the things that we've really found when we ask the following 10 questions. I think that's actually a great idea, Zach. I really, really like that. I think it's another way to come at this where we're not just talking with people like yourself and me who are so embedded in it. It's hard to almost come back up to a higher level and, and at the same time, really remembering that this is all about the user experience and how people leverage search in their everyday lives. Yeah, for sure. And I am happy to help. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Well, we'll definitely enroll you. I want to thank you so much for, for joining us and giving us your insight. I certainly uh, congratulate you on the growth. I'm a user. I'm a proud user of DuckDuckGo. I think the future looks very bright for people realizing that you know search can be private, should be private, but also that search itself is going to keep evolving. So any other words of wisdom before we part? No, not at all. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Excellent. Well, thank you again, Zach. We look forward to uh, speaking with you soon. And that's our episode for today. Thank you all for your time. We hope you got some valuable insights from today's discussion. And as always, please subscribe to the Yext Talks podcast to hear more and to get more answers to the questions that matter. Music